Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. So in the Tawny household, uh, there was a rite of passage, a coming of age at the age of 13 that I had with my sons, all three of them. It was a day where we cleared the calendar, uh, skipped school, and made a pilgrimage to the Football Hall of Fame. All right. So there it is in Canton, the Football Hall of Fame, a place where you can go and you learn about the game of football. You learn all of the rules. You learn the origins of this. Um, and all of this goes into the football. How many of you have been to the Football Hall of Fame? How many have been there? As you know, you could spend a lot of time in the Football Hall of Fame, primarily because of the, if you see here in the center, this room, I think it's now two rooms, of these busts, uh, these, these heads. And uh, they are the players, uh, 362 of them, in the Hall of Fame who have been inducted. And these are the ones who, um, who wear the gold blazers, uh, the gold being uh, this idea of the gold standard of what it means to be a professional football player. And as you walk through this area, as I have been there now three times, um, I walk through and I see these heads and I look at them and I ask this kind of question, why are you here? Like, what is your story? What, what makes you so unique? Otto Graham, why are you so special? Jim Brown, why are you here? Number 82, Ozzie Newsome, why? You can tell I'm a little partial. <laughs> but as you walk through, you get to see, and even at these little computer kiosks, you get to hear the bigger story of why those players have been inducted why they are there. Well, for the next 12 weeks, we're going to have our own Hall of Fame moment. Hebrews chapter 11 is actually not called the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of what? Faith. Now, if you're not familiar, it's the Hall of Faith. This one chapter, it, what we are going to do is spend 12 weeks looking at this one chapter. 40 verses. And so now if you're new to our church, you're like, what is this book he's holding? These are just journals. Uh, they have the scriptures in them, and it gives you kind of a game plan of where we're going to be. We are now in this section, the red section, and you can tell kind of the path that we are going to take for the next 12 weeks. All of this will culminate on Easter Sunday. I'm really excited about that Sunday. But until we get there, we're going to spend time looking at all of these characters that are in the Hall of Faith. And as we go by them, we're going to be asking the question, why are you here? What makes your story one that I need to know? What is there something about your faith story that can then teach me in my faith story? And so may we be open to hearing these things from God's word. May we be open to seeing the, the bust of Abel or Enoch or Noah and wonder, I wonder what their life lived can teach me in my own walk of faith. That's going to be our challenge 
as we walk through these different characters for the next 12 weeks. And so let's begin uh, right in Hebrews chapter 11. Hopefully you have your Bible or maybe one of those journals. If you don't, uh, there's going to be uh, scriptures on the wall in front of us. You can, you can follow along. But as we begin, let me just realize to all of us that there is in every Hall of Fame, whether you're in Canton or maybe you're up in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there is a sorting and a sifting of who gets in. Like, how do you, like, what are the qualifications of who gets into this Hall of Fame? And the same is true in this Hall of Faith. Right in the very, very beginning, we're going to see the author give us some hints. He's already given us a little bit of hint in the very last verse in chapter 10. That's what we've been looking at over the Christmas season. We were looking at chapter 10, the very last verse that said, We are not those who shrink back, but are those who have faith and who preserve our souls. And so now we move into chapter 11. We're going to take a deeper dive into this idea of faith. What is exactly faith? And so that is the question. Let's look at it together. Chapter 11, verse 1 says this. In the English Standard Version, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This might be one of the more famous verses in all of Hebrews. Like when people think of Hebrews, they often think of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And so you have something interesting going on with the words there. Assurance um, of things hoped for and conviction. Assurance and conviction. Now how many in this service grew up with the King James Version Bible? All right, you you know that there's a different uh, set of words here. In the King James Version, this is how it reads. Uh, It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Interesting. The idea of substance and evidence. And so what you have going on here are the English translators trying to figure out what do you do with these two Greek words? And the English Standard Version uses them more in a subjective idea of assurance and conviction, where the King James has chosen to use the translations more in a, a objective and kind of a, a concrete way of talking about substance and evidence. And so the question is, which one is right? And the answer to that question is the Greek language wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants you to know both of these things. And that's why in English we have a very hard time getting a great translation just from one translation in this moment. Because the Greek words want to talk about, yes, faith has definite assurance, but it's not just hopeful thinking. There is something substantive about faith. That's what they're trying to say here. Uh, and there's something of evidence. It's not just convictions, but there is something that is rooted in this reality of what we do with our faith. 
And so the next question is, all right, is there a definition that we can latch ourselves to that encompasses both kind of this idea of objective and subjective ideas of what we've just talked about? And I think there is. I've looked and looked and looked, and there is a writer. Um, he's a professor, and he uses this as a definition. This is what we're going to use for the next 12 weeks, this definition right here. That faith, what is faith? It is present daily living right in the here and now present daily reality you have to make decisions you are faced with things that you have to go forth today so there's present daily living based on the confidence that God will fulfill his promises in the future so there is a confidence knowing that as we look into his scriptures we see that the future is very bright now what's going to happen immediately tomorrow and the next day we walk by faith, but the ultimate future is secure. All right, at the same time, we have this walk by faith of the future because he has proven faithful in the past. That we can look to the past and there is a substantive evidence that he has been very faithful. And we're going to talk about that along the way. All right, so the men and women that we will see in Hebrews 11 were real people who lived lives of faith right there in their present situations, making real decisions, facing real trials, walking through real problems, and they did it with a knowledge and an understanding that God, hey, has worked in the past. There was something they could anchor themselves to. He is faithful. We're going to look at that so that they can then make decisions and walk in the present knowing that the future is taken care of. That's what it means to walk by faith. And we're going to see this lived out in the different facets of characters that we are going to come across. All right, so the Hebrew of, of, right, of Hebrews, then in the next verse, he just adds on to his definition, and then he says this in verse 2. He says, For by it meaning faith, he just talked about it, for by it the people of old received their commendation. That's how they got in. If you're asking the question, why are you here? Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 2 answer the question. They walk by faith, their present reality rooted in the past, looking towards the future. Okay, that's, that's very helpful. Um, but where do all of these stories then lead us? And so where do we begin our journey as we walk through, as we imagine ourselves walking through a, a museum of sorts, where should we begin? Now, if you've ever been to the Football Hall of Fame, you know where they start you. They start you in a room where they start telling you the origin story of football. You walk in, you see behind glass all of these like leather helmets. You see these odd-shaped footballs. You then are reading things and you're seeing all the, this paperwork and you're trying to catch up to like what is really going on. And what they are doing is they're telling you, before we get to the players, they are telling you the origin story of football. And so on September 17th, 1920, a group of men gathered in a room in Canton, Ohio, and they developed this thing called the National Football League. And so they assigned as their president, Jim Thorpe. They needed a big name. That was the biggest one they could find. He was an Olympian. He was someone who had played professional baseball. He was now their president. They were now formulating leagues and teams and rules. And, and that is the origin story 
of the NFL. Now, it's very interesting that the next thing the writer of Hebrews wants to do is lean into an origin story of his own. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says this, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, so by faith. That's going to be an important kind of mantra. We're going to see that from week to week. By faith, by faith, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith. And we're going to see that. But he starts us right at the beginning talking by faith, not about a person, but by faith, giving us the origin story, something to anchor ourselves to that is very secure that happened in the past. And the origin story goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the only one that has this kind of beginning, who always was. Uh, he, he created, you see here what Hebrew says, out of nothing, he brought about the, the universe, the heavens and the earth. They are his handiwork. And the interesting thing is that when you get to the culmination of all of this, the culmination is you and me. We are created in his likeness, in his image. And so this is the origin story that is a lot different than the origin story of the NFL. A lot more substantive. One that links all of humanity together. This is our story that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. And it's not a story about a big bang. It's not a, a, a random start to a chance universe. No, it's a very intentional, loving, intelligent design. And as we look to this, we see now this is the anchor that we can now look to in the past. By faith, you can anchor to this story of Genesis chapter 1. And that's what the ancients did. That's what he's talking about. They're living a present reality anchored to something of the past. And this is the thing that they were anchored to, the creation of the universe by a faithful God. Now, as in all kind of museums, you could spend all day in this room. We could talk a lot more about creation. We could ask a lot more questions. We could explore and read much more. But the curator wants us to keep moving. We got, we got to keep moving in the museum. And so the first person we now come to, after seeing the origin story and before that, the definitions of who's there and why they're there, is now in verse 4 of Hebrews. One verse and this is the summary of that story. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Who is this author talking about? If you're not familiar with God's word, he's now taking you back to the very next story from the origin story. So the origin story is of Genesis 1 and 2, God's creative, intelligent design. Chapter 3, the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve, they mess it up. And as you get to the very last verses of chapter 3, 
what you see is God now exiting Adam and Eve from the garden. They can't be here any longer. You must go. Now we pick up on the story of chapter 4. And the very first thing we read about is this story that Hebrews summarized in one verse. The Cain and Abel narrative. Well, what is that? I'm going to reread a little bit of what Carl read to us. But notice the different things in the words that are used in Genesis. So over here you have Hebrews 4. This is Genesis 4. 11, 4, 4, 1. All right. Notice what God's word says. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, whenever I read God's word, I am always thinking of lots of questions. And I'm just like thinking of question and question after question. And many times I'm asking questions that the text cannot answer. You might find yourself in that same boat. And I think of that in this moment where I'm reading and I'm thinking, what was it like to have Adam and Eve as your parents? Well, we don't get a lot of information on that. And something else we don't get a lot of information about is this. How did Cain and Abel ever come to know that they should be people who would bring an offering, a sacrifice, giving something to God? Where did that come from? And we have to make some speculations. Did it come from God himself? Possibly. Did it come from their parents, Adam and Eve? Possibly. But the reality is still true that they needed to bring an offering in maintaining this relationship with God in a broken world. They needed a, a sacrifice, an offering. That's what we do know. And what we also know is that there was a discrepancy on who did it right. If you notice, there is a, a contrast. There is a difference if you look a little bit deeper, Cain, he's a farmer, a worker of the ground, it says. And so he brings the fruit of the ground as his offering and sacrifice. All right. Abel is a shepherd, a keeper of sheep. And in the text, it says that he brings to offer, to give, uh, to sacrifice. It's a key word. It's an important one. The firstborn of his flock. And so here is the contrast. Clearly, one offering is better than the other. The one brother has done it well. The one has not. And even as uh, it says that God had regard for, um, over here, he had regard for Abel and his offering. So it even goes deeper than just the offering itself, but for the person in disregard for Cain. Uh, there, this over here in Hebrews, it says that uh, the word is about accepting the gifts that were given. Um, and so there is an acceptance, there is a regard, and there is a difference, which then leads to this question. Well, what's the big difference? Now, something that's obvious to point to, we might be tempted to say, 
Well, there's something about an animal versus grain. These animals, uh, they, are, they have life in them. And they, if you look into the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws about sacrificing animals that would come. It hasn't come yet, but sacrificing animals. And so clearly that must have been a greater sacrifice. But the reality is, uh, in the Old Testament law to come, there was also appropriate things of bringing a grain offering or a fruit offering. That, that was part of the giving and sacrifice as well. So is there something else going on? And I believe there is. And it's something that, is, that repeats itself over and over again all throughout the Old Testament. And the very first example of it is right here in Genesis 4, something that would repeat over and over and over again. That is really the bigger difference. And I think the person who says it really well is the prophet Isaiah. Now I'm, I'm moving down the timeline. Isaiah was a prophet who spoke about sacrifice and offerings really well. And he gets to the real heart of what's going on here in Genesis 4. Listen to his words. He would say this. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the bull, blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. All right, so let's now take Isaiah's words, go back and ask the same question. What's the difference between Cain and Abel? And here's the difference. The difference comes in what only the Lord can see at the deeper level of your heart. That is the difference. He goes to the deeper places and he wants to know why. Why did you give? Why did you sacrifice? Why are you trying to relate to me in that way? And for Cain, it was a different answer. And so that is the massive difference of why one was regarded and one was acceptable. There's a direct link to the heart of why it was being given. When you go to the Football Hall of Fame, one of the giants of the Football Hall of Fame is none other than Vince Lombardi. I mean, the championship trophy is named after him. And not only was he an exceptional coach, but he also had a lot of one-liners that go on. These, these moments in, that he would, he would use. Quotes like this. Practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. Oh, that's a Lombardiism. Here's another one. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. I don't know who said it, but all right. Thank you, Joseph. Winners never quit and quitters never win. I mean, these are all Lombardiisms. Here's another one. 
Some of us will do our jobs well and some will not, but we will be judged by only one thing, the result. And right there is the biggest difference between the Football Hall of Fame and the Hall of Faith. You see, in the Football Hall of Fame, it is all about the result. How many touchdowns did you score? How many Super Bowls? How many MVPs? It's all statistically based, and that's how you qualify. Just do the result. But in God's economy, in his Hall of Faith, there is something much deeper he cares about. Why? It's much deeper than the result. See, Cain had the result. Here's my offering. There you go. Check the box. And God says, not so fast. It's not just about checking boxes. It's not just about appearances. I want to know why. I want to go to the deeper place of your heart and examine you there. And the problem is, when you examine the deeper level of the heart of Cain, it really then showed what was there. As the story continues, what is in the heart of Cain becomes even more revealed. As Genesis describes the anger that Cain had, there was a jealousy, an envy there, so much so that the writer of Genesis says that sin was crouching at the door, waiting to consume and that ultimately it ruled over him. And on a certain day in the fields, were these the fields that Cain even owned? We're not sure. But in the fields, they spoke to one another. What did they talk about? We don't know. The author of Genesis is moving very quickly to give us the details. But the revelation of what was in Cain's heart became very clear. Because it says in the text that he rose up and he took his brother's life. A life cut short. And so as readers, we come back, as we now are perusing the, the hall of faith, and we come back and we're like, well, why, Abel, are you here? What is so unique about your faith story? Why have you been included? And the answer to that is that Abel lived his life with an authentic heart of worship to the Lord. And the key word I said is telling, that he was willing to give his firstborn the best of his flock. He didn't know if more would come, but the first was going to go to Yahweh. I was going to give it to him because that's what he deserves. Our best in everything. And so his present, walking by faith, was defined in this way. Anchored in, in the past. He knew the creation story and how faithful Yahweh was. And now he was going to give him the best. Not just about checking boxes, but he's going to give him the best. And he was going to trust him with the rest, even if it meant there wasn't going to be a happily ever after ending. That's the hard part, right? We want to have walking by faith, and now you walk and do great things for the rest of your life. That's not always going to be the end of the story. We know the ultimate end, 
but tomorrow and the next day we walk by faith and that's what Abel did he walked by faith not knowing exactly what was going to happen tomorrow but in the here and now it was about an authentic heart of worship that he was to give to the Lord so we go from Abel and we fly all the way to, to the year 2023 and here we are we start asking ourselves the question, what do I need to hear? And it's a nice story about Abel, but it must go further. We must ask deeper questions. What does the Lord want us to know by taking time to notice him in this museum of faith? Well, what we do know is that we now live our lives removed from the sacrifice of animals and the the giving of grain offerings. But we do live in an era where there needs to be a sacrifice and an offering. And what we believe is that by faith, we believe that God provided that ultimate sacrifice. That ultimate uh, sacrifice that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we place our faith, we believe in that anchor of the past. Not only the one of creation where God was faithful, but also where he was faithful to provide the ultimate sacrifice. But here's what we still know to be true. Even in the story, in the trajectory of Abel's story, there still needs to be a sacrifice. There still needs to be an offering. And as Christians, we believe that's Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of our story. We still live in a present day walking by faith. And here's what we know to be true. That was true of Abel. God is still desperately involved and caring about the deeper questions of our hearts. We're not just to be people who check boxes and fulfill religious duty and come to church and everything looks great. Check the box. I did this. Went on a missions trip. Checked that. Was baptized. Check, 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 check. No, no, no. God cares way more about what is happening at the deeper level of your heart. He always has. And so he, he wants us to live our lives in, a very, in very unique ways. And even uh, the Apostle Paul picked up on this offering and sacrifice language. And here's the challenge for us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is what he says. The Apostle Paul would say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your, look at this, your bodies, what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, for Paul, it was about, we're not going to live this duality of my uh, weekday life and then my religious life. No, he said, you are to live your entirety in front of the Lord as a living sacrifice. Everything. How you act at school matters. How you act at work matters desperately to the Lord. How you interact in your dysfunctional family matters to the Lord. All of it is in worship. We are to give him the best if we are truly people who are walking by faith. A present daily living anchored in what God has been faithful in doing for us that we now say your will be done and I might get made fun of 
I might face hardship. I even might face something that Abel faced. But I'm going to do it anyways. It's worth it. I'm going to walk by faith, knowing that you have the ultimate future well within your hand. And so may that be an encouragement and challenge to us. But the last thing I want to say is the encouraging words of what is said about Abel. Because these words that are said about him in Hebrews are said about nobody else. At the very end of Hebrews eleven four, he says this. Through his faith, now we've talked about the story. Through his faith, though he died, and then he says this, he still speaks. Abel is still speaking. What is he saying? Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, look at how well I lived my life. Look at my sacrifice. That's not what he's speaking. Look what I did. No, 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 that's not what he's speaking. His story is speaking about the faithfulness of God. And it's still being told from generation to generation, to generation, to generation. And thousands of years later, his story is still being told about how faithful Yahweh was and how he followed after him. And may all of it be unto glory to him. What are people going to say when you're gone? He had a nice retirement home. He did great work in building up a lot of wealth. He lived the American dream. He was so kind to people. Or is there going to be a gospel story that will go forth from your life, that will outlive you? Will it? Or is it just going to be about the here and now and fulfilling this American dream? Let me tell you, those those are fake ways to live. Those are Cain kind of aspirations. The life of Abel is one that we live unto the Lord with everything we have. It's challenging. Are you walking by faith? Are you walking in fake ways? Maybe today's that day he's tapping you on the shoulder saying, come on, you're not fooling anybody. Maybe you are fooling some people around you, but you're not fooling the Lord. Remember, he goes to the deeper places. And he says, I want all of it. Come, walk with me, and trust me. And may that be our story as well. As individuals and as a church, a story that's going to be told long after we're gone, the faithfulness of our God. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we give you thanks um, as the one who we live in front of as a living sacrifice. That is what we want. It's hard. It's much easier to live for American dreams. It's much easier to to live in comfort. It's much easier to live for things of this world. It is much more challenging to live for the things that we can't immediately see right now. But that is what you've called your people to do. And even right here in Kent, Ohio, the challenges that face us as a church to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm glad for stories like Abel that keep being told. Uh, The legacy of his faith, the story, the narrative, it keeps being uh, 
told to us, and we're, we're grateful for that. We give you thanks, even as we sing and, and ponder and, and reflect on these things for our own lives. Uh, speak to us and challenge us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.